All right. So we are, we are week two in a, in a series called Pray, Go, Speak. And, and I kind of joked last week, I said, if you say that really fast, it sounds like an Italian dish that you would get at Olive Garden, right? I'll have the Prego Speak <laughs> with an extra side of breadsticks. Okay, well, that's not what it is. But, but you know, as we get into the, this book of Colossians, uh, as, as we're winding down in chapter 4, God's given us some things in, in verses 2 to 6, kind of the closing remarks, if you will. Remember, Paul's writing... Uh, this uh, epistle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's, he's in prison right now. Uh, he is directing this letter to the believers at Colossae, and he's never been there. He's never been in that city or that church, but they've received the gospel. He uh, you know, certainly is, is, has compassion toward them and longs to see them in the face. And so he's, he's, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He's writing this epistle uh, to them to encourage them uh, to continue in the faith, and, and again, you know, I never spent any time in prison, but I'm, I'm sure it, it, under the Spirit of God, the, the, the letter carries with it the most important things. Does that make sense? Like, I can only communicate what's most important, and so this is what is most important to these Colossian believers. And, and, and as he begins his descent in chapter 4, he talks about praying, continuing in prayer. Verse 2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in bonds. And we talked about that last week. We talked about perpetual prayer last week and how God really has given us a gift through prayer. You know, prayer is something that, that many of us probably look at as a burden, but honestly, it's a great gift. Uh, we, we, we gain so much by the gift of prayer. We know that, that God commands us to pray, and God actually wants us to pray continually because we can enjoy a right relationship with Him. When we pray continually, it helps direct our decisions. Do you remember last week we talked about the Lord Jesus Christ before He picked His, his 12 disciples? He spent all night in prayer. And so it helps us to make right decisions when we continually are in prayer. We, we seek the Lord's face. And then we also saw in Acts chapter 1 that prayer is the thing that helps us wait on God's promises. And, and we looked at the disciples in Acts chapter 1. God had, Jesus Christ had commanded them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Ghost. And, and, and you know how you are, and I know how I am. Waiting is not in my vocabulary. I mean, it is, but I don't really like it. You know, that's one of the words I just don't like. And yet, God teaches us that through waiting, we can continually devote ourselves to prayer. We know that God has made promises to us. We know that God's not a liar. And the thing that bridges the gap between His promises and the fulfillment of His promises is prayer. And if we learn to wait on God in prayer, we don't get frustrated. We don't, we don't think that God is going to somehow forget us or forget his promises. And so we learned that last week. We looked at Acts chapter, chapter 2 and we saw the early church at Jerusalem was a church that was unified in prayer. And I mentioned last week, we have to be a church that's unified in prayer, right? One of the things we have to agree on is that we have to agree in prayer. God wants to open the door to the gospel to other people. And so I hope you prayed that this week. I'm, I'm serious. I hope you prayed this week for doors of opportunity to speak the gospel. Did you pray that? Okay, if you didn't pray that, pray that this week. All right, pray that. That's like number one on your prayer list. Outside of, you know, whatever your urgent needs are, pray that God opens the doors of the gospel for our church family. 
And ultimately, we learn that when we pray continually, we really determine who we trust. And we looked in, 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 in Timothy, and we looked at the widow that, that who's, who's lost her husband, who's lost her children. She has no, she has no means of, of taking care of herself. She has to be completely dependent. And uh, when she prayed continually, she really just declared that she's trusting in God, for God to meet her needs. And so we learned a lot about prayer last week. So this week, we're going to get to verse 5. And, and you know how we roll around here. Like, we can, we can take one verse and preach for an hour. I won't preach for an hour, but I will preach for maybe 40 minutes. Walt, I'm a little hot in the room. It sounds like I'm really echoey up here, so I don't know if you guys can maybe uh, make some adjustment, but it sounds really, like, echoey in my, in my ear. Verse 5 says this, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. And then verse six says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And, and, and because there is a specific order in this passage, that's why we named this series, Pray, Go, Speak. God wants to establish our prayer life, our perpetual prayer life first. Secondly, he wants to direct where we go, and we're going to talk about that today. Verse 5 is the whole message today. And then lastly, when we get there, God wants us to speak some very specific things. And so that's the, that's the, the point uh, of today's message. All right, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. All right, number one, point, point number one in your notes, if you want to take notes, is the directive. And the directive is that we are called to walk in wisdom, okay? We're called to walk in wisdom, and, and you have a key under that number one in your notes, and here's the key. After we continually pray, or after we pray, and before we speak, God wants us to have a right walk. Listen, after we pray and before we speak, God wants us to have a right walk. There, there is a very divine order to, to this instruction to the Colossian believers. Pray first, continue in prayer, walk, then speak. And listen, if we get that out of order, well, the results aren't going to be what God intends for us. Does that make sense? If we run out of here and don't walk with the Lord the way God intends for us to walk, and we begin blabbing about the gospel and blabbing about how awesome the Bible is and blabbing about our great church family, and all of those things are true, but if we don't have a walk that matches that, the message is going to be muddied. Does that make sense? And listen, if we don't even pray beforehand, God may never even give us those opportunities. God may never give us those opportunities. And so after we pray, but before we speak, God wants us to have a right walk. And let me just tell you, listen, in the Bible, your Christian life, God could have used any way to define your Christian life, but the way God defined your Christian life is with a walk, with a walk. And so it's your day-to-day -day choices, it's your decisions, it's your lifestyle ultimately, that's going to determine your direction and your destination in this world. Your walk is of utmost importance to God. It's of utmost importance to God. And so, and so let me just instruct us a little bit this morning. Number one, we had a walk before Christ. Before you even got saved, you had a walk. And God, God when he looked at our lives before we came to Christ, 
He called it, he still called it a walk, but it was a different walk than what we have now in Christ. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that our walk before Christ was according to the course of this world. In other words, we were headed in a direction away from God and opposed to the things of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 says this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, listen to this, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who we were before we got saved. And God just calls our attention to the fact that before we knew Christ, we still had a walk. But it wasn't according to God's word. It wasn't a walk in Christ. It was actually a walk according to the course of this world. And it was according to the, not, not Jesus, but it was according to the prince of the power of the air. So even before salvation, when God looks at our life, he, he measures that and defines that by this word called walk. And before we got saved, listen, every one of us have a different testimony, a different story, but, but at the end of the day, we were walking according to the course of this world. We were walking contrary to the things of God. We were walking under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. We were walking as children of disobedience against God. And then you got saved. And, and, and God changed your walk. God changed your direction. And so before Christ, listen, we walked according to the course of the world. Secondly, we walked, the Bible says, as Gentiles. And, and you know in this church that there are three people groups addressed in the Bible, Jew, Gentile, and the church. Those that are Jew or Gentile that are saved and in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32 is the reference for that. But in Ephesians chapter 4, I, I just want you to, to see what a Gentile walks like. Look at verse 17 to 19. The Bible says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, listen, walk not as other Gentiles walk. And Paul is writing the book of Ephesians to Christians at Ephesus. So he's writing to saved people that are in Christ. And he says to them, Walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And again, I, I just want to make the point that, listen, before Christ, we were just lost Gentiles. We were just lost Gentiles, and, and we were actually... Our understanding was darkened from the gospel. Our, our, our life was alienated from the life in Christ. We were ignorant. We were blind in our heart. You say, man, that, you beat me up this morning. I thought I was a pretty good person. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're great. But in God's economy, you walked according to the course of this world. You walked as a Gentile. That's who you were before you came to Christ. That shows us how, if I can coin uh, Pastor Mark Trotter, it shows us how jacked up our walk really was. Man, we were a mess before we came to Christ. But now, listen, and, and this is the bulk of the message right here. I want to tell you, since you met Christ, since you received Christ as Lord and Savior, 
you got a totally different walk. you got a totally different walk. And let, me, and let me just give you some of the blessings of the walk that you have now in Christ. First is, our walk now in Christ is a walk that's by faith, not by sight. It's by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. And, and can I just tell you, listen, that is so counterintuitive. That is so unnatural. And let me tell you why that's unnatural. I worked in, in physical therapy for about 20 years, which is really weird when I say that, because I don't, I don't see myself as being that old. No comment from the crowd. <clears throat> I worked in physical therapy for about 20 years, and you know, one of the things that we, we learned to do was gait analysis. We, we would learn to watch people walk, and, and if somebody had like a stroke or a brain injury or maybe they had a surgery, we could look at the way that they walk and we could help correct the way they walk to get them functional again. And so for 20 years, I, I, I was this guy that would just watch people. Not like you that just watch people because people are weird, but I would watch people specifically to see how they walk. And, and there's certain things that you can just notice about their gait, about their walk, about where their foot lands and where their weight shifts, and where their foot comes off the ground, and what their shoulders do, and what their hips do. And there's just a tremendous amount, and there's a lot of pieces to gait, to walking, but one of the most important things is what your eyes see. What your eyes see. As a matter of fact, if, if I asked you to close your eyes right now and walk across this room, every one of you, don't do it, but if I said every one of you just stand up, close your eyes, and walk to the other side of the room with your eyes closed, well, we'd have a mess. We would have a mess and probably some lawsuits because, you know, that's just the way it rolls. Okay, so, so I, I want to tell you that this walk in Christ is a walk by faith, not by sight. It's a, it's a walk by faith, not by sight. Colossians 2 and verse 6, and it's not on the screen, but just listen to the verse. The Bible says, as ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. In other words, how you received Christ is how you're supposed to walk. How did you receive Christ? Did you see him? Did he come knock on your door? Did he come invite himself into your house? You didn't do any of that. You believed the gospel. How did you believe it? By faith. And so God says that the same way that you... And by the way, if you think you received Christ any other way, you most certainly did not. You don't receive Christ by doing a work, by being baptized, by joining a church, by, by, by giving money. You don't receive Christ by any of those things. You receive Christ by faith. And so Colossians tells us the same way that you received him, that's how you're to walk in him. It's by faith. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11 says that this thing of faith is so important that without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must see that he is. Is that what it says? Must believe. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. And we know Romans 10, 17, the Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so listen, your walk in Christ is a walk by faith, not by sight. And that ought to help give you some freedom this morning, Christian. 
Because whatever the circumstances are in your life that you see with your eyes are really not the most important thing. What you see from this book is the most important thing. This is truth. Without faith is impossible to please God. God says that, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faith is not in some abstract unknown. It's not in some hope that has no assurance. No, it is in the, it is in the eternally infallible and preserved words of God that now I know and have assurance that every step I take, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do this, but faith says I can trust God. Now that ought to help some of us this morning. If we're not careful, we will assume that our walk in Christ is all by sight, not by faith. And that's not the way God made you in Him. God made you in Him to have a walk by faith, not by sight. Number two, a walk now in Christ is a walk after the Spirit of God and not after the flesh. It's after the Spirit of God and not, not after the flesh. And, and listen, before we knew Christ, we didn't have the Spirit of God in us. We weren't sealed with the Spirit of God, but now as a new believer, man, we have God's Holy Spirit that seals us, that indwells us, that empowers us. Our walk is to be a walk after the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 says this, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who, who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? But after the Spirit. And so God's called us to walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit, and, and just jot it down, the Spirit of God and the Word of God always agree. They always agree. They always agree. So, so if we ever find ourselves making this statement, I feel like God would have me do this, fill in the blank, and it's contrary to God's Word, God does not want you doing that. The Spirit of God is not giving you confirmation to do that. Does that make sense? Uh, listen, let, let's, let's walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Galatians tells us that, that that Spirit and that flesh are constantly embattled against each other. They're actually contrary to each other. They, they lust against each other. They war against each other. And listen, you know the battle, right? The battle is always between flesh and Spirit. It's always between the flesh and the Spirit. But in Christ, listen, we can now walk after the Spirit. Before you got saved, you had no choice. Your walk was completely connected to the flesh. And now God's given us another way out. Point number three, we have in Christ now a walk that is an honest walk. And, and I really use some bad English right here. A walk honestly. <laughs> you know, it was late when I put these notes together. I apologize for that. <laughs> Look at Romans chapter 13 and verse 13. Uh, the Bible says, let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Okay, so, so Romans 13 gives us another insight to our walk. Now, what is the opposite of honestly or honesty? Dishonestly, right? And so if you can have an honest walk with the Lord, you can also have a, a dishonest walk with the Lord. And he tells us some things that should not be a part of our life if we are walking honestly in the Lord, riding, drunkenness, chambering and wantonness are just uncontrollable, sensual lusts, I'll leave it there for the sake of the room, strife, envying. So God tells us that if we want to walk in Him right and honestly, we have to walk as in 
the day. What is, what is that talking about? Walk as in the day. Well, the day in the Bible always points to the day of the Lord, which begins with the day of Christ. And I, and I don't want to I don't want to just take the time, we don't have the time really to expound that, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible talks about that the day of Christ is at hand. It's when Christ returns to set up his kingdom. And all Paul's saying in Romans is, walk like Jesus is on the throne. Walk like he's on the throne. If Jesus Christ were literally on the throne on this planet, ruling and reigning in his kingdom, would you live any different that day than you would live today? And if the answer is yes, then you need to walk honestly because he's still on the throne. He's just in heaven right now, but he literally will come and set up his kingdom on this earth very, very soon. Number four is this, a walk in love. God tells us that in Christ, we now have a walk and we're commanded to walk in love. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Walk in love. Listen, this should be the characteristics of every Christian's life. One step after the other. A walk of faith, right? A walk in love. I mean, these are the things that define our life as a Christian. And if you aren't walking in these things, number one, you may not be saved. Number two, you may not be spirit-filled. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself an offering and a sacrifice. You know, love ought to be the defining moment or defining characteristic of any church. It ought to be the defining characteristic of any Christian. Walk in love. Number five, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And it just blows my mind how much God tells us about this walk that we're to have. Ephesians 5 and verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness... That's before Christ. But now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Darkness before Christ. You are now light in the Lord. Walk like it. Listen, a Christian has no business living a life full of darkness. No business. Why? Because that's not who you are. You're messing up the picture. You're messing up your identity. You're messing up what God is trying to to illustrate through your life, your walk. It's jacked up. Walk as children of light. Number six is this, a walk that's worthy. A walk that's worthy. We're called to walk worthy of the Lord. Worthiness is what you ascribe value to, what, what you think something is worth. Does that make sense? It's worthiness. Uh, And listen, I don't know in our culture of Christianity how much worth we really put on the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, walk in a way that that Christ is worth it. What's he worth? And can I just tell you, listen, when we don't walk like this, we, we really define outwardly with our life, our decisions, our choices. We define what Christ is really worth to us. 
We define what this salvation is really worth. We define what the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God really are worth in our life. And some of us, quite honestly, we declare it with our life. He's not worth very much. Is he worth obeying? That's a valid question. Is he worth living the way he intends for us to live? Is he worth walking and taking the steps in which he's given us to take? Listen, the value you ascribe to Christ really is manifest in your walk. And, and I'll say it, look, just, because, or just as if you can walk worthy of the Lord, you can also walk unworthily of the Lord. We have to make sure we assign the right value to him. He is the most precious gift we will ever receive. He, he is God in the flesh. He is, he is the redemption that bought our, 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 our salvation through his shed blood. Listen, he is worth... You put, a, you put a value on a single drop of God's blood and tell me what you come up with, okay? And, and whatever you come up with won't be enough. One drop of his blood that was shed for our sin. We are called to walk worthy of the Lord. And then number next, we're called to have a walk that pleases God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would, and abound more and more. And again, Paul just kind of went on record and said, hey guys, we taught you how to walk and to please God. So do it. So do it. Oh, you know, I just got these struggles. Okay, everybody has struggles. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has shortcomings. We all face difficulty. We all face doubt. God says, walk to please God. Just do it. Just do it. And that's not real common and, and popular in our culture of Christianity. Because we would rather excuse our lack of a genuine walk with God. We would rather excuse a walk that pleases God with, with our own inadequacies and and self-doubt, and disappointments, and, and fears, and all those different things. Listen, you are commanded and called to walk in a way that pleases God. Hebrews 11 and verse 5 talks about a man named Enoch. The Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. And listen, Enoch in the Old Testament is a type or a picture of the church. Enoch was taken from this planet before the flood. You guys remember the story? Moses' flood. I was just kidding. I was just seeing if any of you were awake this morning. Noah's flood. Was it Moses or Noah's? Which one? Which one was it? I'm just kidding. Before that flood came... Before the flood came, there was a man that pleased God, and God took him off the earth. He never died. God took him. God raptured him, if you will, off of this planet. Enoch is an Old Testament type or picture of the church who walked by faith, who pleased God and was taken out of this earth before judgment came, which is a picture that floods a picture of the tribulation period. We're called to have a walk that pleases God. And lastly, from Colossians chapter 4, we're called to walk in wisdom called to walk in wisdom. I'm going to tell you that wisdom has a beginning for every Christian. And it's Psalm 111 and verse 10. 
The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. And so you can't walk in wisdom if you don't start at the beginning. Everybody's got to take the first step. Everybody's got to take the first step. And the first step is the fear of the Lord. You say, well, man, I, I don't really fear the Lord. That's the first step in walking in wisdom. You need to fear the Lord. You need to fear the Lord. And listen, we don't have time, but that, that in itself is a tr tremendous doctrine. We've kind of minimized our value of Christ, and we've also diminished the deity of God the Father. If God himself were to reveal himself to you, there would be nothing left, friend. The holiness, the, 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 the pureness, the, 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 the magnificence, the power of God Almighty is something to be feared. It is something to be feared. And you can't walk in wisdom if you don't take the first step. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And so James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You say, God, I want to walk in wisdom. Okay, ask God for that. And God has promised that he gives it to every man liberally. He abradeth not. If you want the wisdom of God in your life, then ask for it. Proverbs 3 and verse 13 says this, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, hmm. and the man that getteth understanding. You, won't be, you will be happy when you find this wisdom and begin walking in it. And I think the converse is true. Without it, you won't be happy. And you'll search this planet trying to find something that will make you happy. And the truth is, wisdom is the thing that God says will bring you happiness. It's the fear of the Lord. It's a right walk with Him. Proverbs 4 and verse 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forbid it, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24 says that Christ is the wisdom of God. Are we only on point number one? Okay. Do you see how, how God just takes a lot of black and white space in his Bible to show you that your walk is of utmost importance? Every one of those characteristics defines your Christian life. And every one of those things, a, a, a lack of those things in our life, truly mean that we, it doesn't mean you're not saved. But it does mean that you're not walking with the Lord the way God intended. And so the, here's the key question. Look, am I walking in the wisdom of God? Or am I still walking according to this world? Am I walking according to the wisdom of God? Or am I still walking according to this world? In other words, if I were to go back through that list of, of, of steps in my Christian walk and the, and the characteristics that are present at each one of those are those things a reality in my life? And if the answer is no, please hear me. You, you could be saved as the day is long, but you haven't got up out of the chair yet. You haven't got up out of the chair yet. God says that this walk is what defines my relationship with you. There are steps involved in that. There's a process involved. And listen, it should look a certain way. And lack of that means that, that we really don't have a right relationship. Number two, 
the direction. And we'll, we'll shift into second gear now and hit the gas really fast. The direction. God tells us in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 that we're to walk in wisdom, listen, toward them that are without. Toward them that are without. And so here's a key in your notes I want you to get down. Look, our walk should be taking us away from some things and toward someone. Our walk with Jesus Christ ought to be taking us away from some things and toward someone. And if that ain't a true statement, I don't know what is a true statement. Man, listen, God has called us to, to, to walk toward some people and to actually leave some things behind. That word without in the Bible, we are called to walk toward them that are without. Well, that word without means those that are outside of Christ. The, the word just literally means outside of. So, you know, the other companion word to that or the opposite of that is within, inside of, within. Without means outside of. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, he suffered without the gate, outside of the gate. Let us therefore uh, go unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And so it just means outside of. And so here's the direction, church, that we're called to walk. We're called to walk toward them that are without. You say, I thought everybody's here. Well, not everybody. There's a whole bunch of lost people out there. And we need to walk toward them. We need to walk toward them. We need to walk in wisdom toward them because they're without Christ. They're without Christ. And, and, and listen, I, I want to be careful on this point, but I want you to understand that, that, that the urgency of the gospel has to be a reality in our life. And sadly, in most Christians' life, we're thankful we got it. And we all just hang out together and never go get the people that hadn't got it yet. And, and at some point, we have to be reminded that we were out there without Christ. And somebody walked toward us. Somebody came toward us. Somebody gave us a track. Somebody invited us to church. Someone preached the gospel to us. Listen, our walk with Christ should take us toward those people that are without. And I'm going to skip ahead, Derek, in the notes here, but, but if you skip down to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says that at that time ye were without Christ. And again, Paul contrasting our old man and our new man, who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ. At that time ye were, listen, Without Christ, outside of Christ, without hope, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's who we were. Listen, verse 13 is powerful. But now, listen, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And listen, if you're saved in this room, you know exactly what that verse is talking about. I was without Christ. I was outside of Christ. I had no hope in this world. And somebody came to me 
and got the gospel to me. A preacher preached the gospel to me. A friend shared the gospel with me. I found a track and read it that somebody had left, and the gospel came to me. And now, before I was without Christ, I was outside of Christ, but now I am in Christ Jesus. I am in Him. I am near. I'm nigh to Him by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. There's a whole world out there that's still without Christ. There's a whole world still without Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12. It's not on the screen. Just listen. The Bible says that you might walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. You see, the problem in most churches and the problem in this church and the problem in most Christians' life and the problem in this Christian's life is that we have forgotten to whom we are to walk toward. Many times we would rather walk away from the lost than actually walk toward them and engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would actually rather just huddle up in here, and I'm thankful we need to huddle up, but we need to huddle and be encouraged and be challenged to go get more. To go get more. So the question is, the key question on this point, God, God's directed us to walk toward the lost, toward them that are without what or who is my walk taking me closer to and at the same time further from? What or who is my walk taking me closer to and at the same time further from? And let me just, again, put the bow on this point. If, if, if you're trying to reach people with the gospel, there's probably things that you're walking away from. And there's probably people you're walking away from that aren't going the same direction that you are. You see, our walk should be taking us closer to somebody. Number one, it ought to take us closer to Christ. Number two, it ought to take us closer to the lost, to preach the gospel. And by default, if we're pursuing that right relationship with God and we're pursuing the ministry that God's called us to, by default, it's going to distance us from people that are fake Christians, that are carnal Christians, that aren't that aren't even necessarily Christians, but they're the people that consume so much of our life and time and energy and focus. Are we okay? I just know that the closer I get to Christ and the closer I get to his mission, it's going to take me a certain direction that some other people may not be going. But I'd rather go with Jesus, man. I'd just rather go with Jesus. You know, my wife and I celebrated, uh, <laughs> celebrated is a, a loose term I'll use, 20 years uh, of marriage uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, COVID sucks. Let me say that for the record. I don't, uh, can you say that in church? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, thumbs down all the way, man. Especially when you want to travel on your 20th anniversary because everything is shut down and uh, nobody will let you come visit. So, um, but, you know, I remember 20 years ago when we got married, uh, there's a lot of things I remember, but, but I remember early on in our dating and, and as God brought us closer to our marriage, you know, one of the things that we committed to each other was we're going to be faithful to each other, we're going to be faithful to the Lord, and our marriage is going to be about His ministry and His glory. And so, so what that meant is that for the next 20 years, our marriage would be redirected in some areas that maybe some other people's marriages and lives and relationships weren't necessarily tracking. I'm not being judgmental at all, but I'm just saying we made a conscious decision. This is the direction we're going to walk. 
we're going to walk this way because we believe that God's word is true. And, uh, and I'm thankful for the last 20 years. You know, God's brought us closer together. God's brought us closer to other people. God's brought us to you about nine years ago, I think. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Which also means that God brought us away from people. You know, it, it moved us. And, and, and I'm just making the point that when we do what God's called us to do, we're going to get closer to the goal, but we're going to distance from other things and other people. And that's something that should challenge all of us. Lastly is this, and this is probably the most unique point and probably from my understanding the most misunderstood point of this whole deal. Verse 5 says this, that when we walk in wisdom toward them that are without, we, we redeem the time. And that's a pretty good deal. And so in your, in your blank, this is the deal. Let's make a deal, right? Here's the deal. The deal is when I walk in wisdom toward them that are without, it says redeeming the time. And that word redeeming is in the present tense. It's something that's actively happening as you are walking in wisdom toward them that are without. And the word redeem in the Bible, we know this from studying the Bible, the word literally means just to buy back. Okay, it means to purchase, to buy back. And uh, many of you know the story in, in Ruth chapter 4, uh, the story of, of Boaz and Ruth and how he was the kinsman redeemer and he bought back uh, Naomi's portion of land because her husband died and he, and he bought back uh, Ruth's portion of inheritance because her husband died. And, and again, Boaz is a picture of Christ. He's a Jewish kinsman redeemer. Ruth is a Gentile who's redeemed by this Jewish kinsman redeemer. And so there's a great picture of Christ in the church. But I'm telling you, man, this is a weird thing because it says that we can redeem the time when we walk in wisdom toward them that are without. It says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly means on guard or, or aware, not asleep. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And again, man, I don't have it all figured out, but in Ephesians and Colossians, there's a deal that can be made. And that deal is directly connected to our walk. God says if you walk in wisdom and you walk circumspectly and you walk toward them that are without, you can redeem the time. It's almost like you can, you can time travel. Any Back to the Future fans in the room, right? All right, there you go. It's always good to get an amen from Ben, even, even from a movie reference. <laughs> so here's the key in your notes. Look, time, and, and we're going to get to the specifics here in just a second. The time can be bought back, but it can only be bought back with a right walk. It can only be bought back with a right walk. And so listen, you can redeem the time but only through your walk. In other words, your walk with the Lord is the currency in which you can redeem the time. If you're going to redeem something, you have to, you have to pay for it. You have to pay. There's a cost associated. Let's talk about time for just a second. Number one, I want you to understand God exists outside of time. Okay, so God's eternal. You say, I can't understand that. Me neither. <laughs> and, and because you're not God and I'm not God, we'll never understand it. God is eternal. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning... God. God existed before the beginning, 
He existed before the creation of the heaven and the earth. The Bible opens with God already existing, and He forever and eternally will exist. He always has, He always will. And our human finite minds won't be able to understand that. So God is outside of time. We as humans are, are trapped in it, at least right now. And again, when I mention things like 20 years, you know, 20 years working in physical therapy, 20 years being married, man only has a short time according to the Bible. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 89 and verse 47, it says, remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain, right? James talks about how our life is a vapor that appears for a little time. Psalm 90 and verse 10 says, okay, you may get 70 years and by reason of strength, maybe 80 years. That's a very short amount of time. So what is God talking about when he says redeem the time? Well, when you, when you study the phrase the time through the Bible, it, it's not just something general. In other words, the Colossians passage doesn't say if you walk in wisdom, you can redeem time. That's not what it says. It says you can redeem the time. It's a very specific time that God is talking about. And I believe it is the time that's mentioned in Revel, excuse me, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. It says this, and knowing, Paul writes and he says, and that knowing the time, what time? That now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness. And we read this verse earlier. But, but the time that he's talking about literally is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when our salvation becomes a reality. It's not by faith any longer. It's by sight. It's the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is at hand. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29 says this, but I say, brethren, the time is what? Short. It remaineth both that they, have, that they that have wives be as though they had none. And again, we don't have time to look at 1 Corinthians in detail, but, but I'm just telling you that because of the time, there are some people that make some drastic decisions in their life to live different because the time is short. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is what? At hand. And you know the book of Revelation is the book of the revealing of the, the key character of all the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John writes in chapter 1 and verse 3, and he says, hey, listen, the time that, 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 that we've been looking for, the time that's short, the time that has been prophesied, here it is. It's at hand. It's at hand. And, and for the next 20-something chapters, Christ is revealed. So much so that in Revelation 22 and verse 10, again, he says, He said unto me, Seal not the sayings of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So what does this mean? It means that when we walk in wisdom, 
We have a right walk with God. And when we walk toward those that need to hear the gospel, we're able to buy back maybe the time that we wasted before we got saved. Maybe the time we've wasted since we got saved. Anybody wasted any time since you've been saved? Two hands right here. Now the rest of you are liars. You're welcome. Listen, we can buy that back. But it comes with a very specific prescription. It has to, it has to do with your walk, and it has to do with whom you're walking toward. And again, this Pray, Go, Speak series is the final admonition to these Colossian believers. It is the final admonition to the Laodicean church, by the way. Pray, go, speak so that you can redeem the time. Here's the last question. Look, am I walking in a way that is redeeming the time? Am I walking in a way that redeems the time? Or am I wasting time? And you know, the bad thing about time is when you waste it, you can't get it back. You can't get it back. It's just a temporal commodity. It, it just doesn't last long. You spend it like currency, and, and none of us hate to lose money on a deal, right? Man, you buy something, you spend some money, you buy a car, you buy something, you find out it's a dud, you're like, ah, oh, I wasted 50 bucks on this. I wasted a couple thousand dollars on this. Ah, oh, I, got, I got beat up. I feel like that way right now about my Land Cruiser having some mechanical problems with this thing. I'm like, ah, oh, every time I touch it, something breaks on it. I feel like I'm wasting time and wasting money. You know, time is something that can be wasted. But time is also something that can be redeemed. It can be bought back. But it's only through a right walk. And it's only through a right direction. And so God help us. Again, let me remind you, let's pray for opportunities to share the gospel. That's all we got left, church. This is it. I mean, this is it. Look, curtain call soon. I'm not going to give you a date and time of the rapture, but I'm telling you, man, curtain call soon. This thing's about to be over. And it may even be that we get persecuted to the point that we can't do what we can do today. You know why Paul was writing that epistle to the Colossians, to those guys so that they would pray and go and preach the gospel? Because he couldn't. He was in prison. And so listen, there may come a day where, where the opportunities that we have today, well, they're, they're locked up. We don't, we don't have those opportunities anymore. But today, we have them. Today, we have them. And so uh, let's be mindful of that as we dismiss. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for...